Tanks are pouring from the dunes now. There's cars toppled, buildings entirely crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I, I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I, I see some people running now. In the opinion of this reporter, if this nation, or in fact the world, ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. of AquamanShrine.com and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my co-host, Rob the Zombie Kelly from Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> you should have gone brains. That would have worked. I, I like the more non-verbal zombies. Oh. I like the slow zombies more than the fast zombies myself. Yeah, yeah. So, folks, here we are. It's review week. Um, big, big week this week uh, in comics. We got Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, number twenty-three. <laughs> you like my little Ted Knight there? That was uh, that yeah. was that was almost as creepy as Michael Bailey's Superman at seventy-five thing that he sticks into the show. I was actually trying to emulate that, you know, Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas. Right, please stop doing. It. Please just stop, stop doing. It. it was dead on, man. It was dead on. Uh-huh. <laughs> Uh, we got Justice League number 23, which is Trinity War Part 6. We're, we're not going to cover that uh, in great detail, but there are some things worth talking about with our characters. Mm-hmm. And, um, okay, so it didn't come out this week, but we're going to cover <laughs> Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man classic from 1982, uh, issue number three. Yay! Woohoo! You're up, man. Uh, we're doing in stock trades, dude. Of course we're doing in-stock trades. That's what I meant. You're up. <laughs> You're going to talk about your book first after oh, okay. I explain oh, it. Oh, yeah. Okay. All right. Anyway, I decided to go a little off-model this week, and my pick for in-stock trades is Sugar and Spike, the Archive Editions, Volume 1. I've talked about how much I love Sugar and Spike before on the show. The, uh, they got their, their own book for 99 issues, I think. But all of them, every single one, written and drawn by Sheldon Mayer. They are really classic Kids comics, uh, you know, a lot of superhero fans wouldn't be caught dead reading stuff like this, but it was really very sharp and probably sort of like the Calvin and Hobbes of its day. Uh, the archive edition is 240 pages. Uh, it doesn't mention how, oh, it's the first 10 issues of the book. 
uh, like I said, it's 240 pages. It's a hardcover. It normally retails for $59.99, but now it's on sale for $32.99, 45% off. Uh, it's a lot to pay for a lot of baby talk, but Sugar and Spike was a really classic DC comic and deserves, uh, I, I would say, deserves a new 52 version, except it won't be all dark and stuff. Uh, this, is, <laughs> it's, this is a lot of fun, and uh, if you're a, a fan of, of good comics, uh, you should check it out. I've I've never heard of this sugar and spike kid. Let me hold on. Let me grab my who's who. I'll look them up. Oh, so bitter. Oh. Anyway, bye, folks. Uh, this week I am going to talk about something relevant to the Justice League Trinity War Forever Evil saga going on right now. I picked JLA Earth Two. It's trade paperback. Uh, it is. Uh, it started as a graphic novel several years ago, back when Grant Morrison was doing the JLA. Now here it's collected for you as just a, a soft cover. And it's by Grant Morrison and Frank Quietly. And this was the big all-star special that came out that brought the crime syndicate back to the post-crisis universe. Now they had sort of appeared, kind of, sort of, in a half-ass way by the Cordians. It was really bad. Anyway, this was brought them back into the forefront really brought them into the new age, and these models of the crime syndicate, for the most part, have hung around since. So it's really a great, great story. It's 96 pages, normally retails for $14.99. With that in-stock trade, it's magic discount of 45% off. You can get it for $8.24. Oh, my gosh. So, folks, um, we would like to say thank you to in-stock trades. They are our sponsor for this episode. And uh, you can go there. They are the best online source for trades, hard hardcovers, and other collected editions, all, all for up to 45% off, with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. Heck of a deal. Please go out and visit InStockTrades.com. And if you do order, shoot them an email off their uh, Contact Us page. Let them know that the Fire and Water podcast sent you. Yes, and some of you guys have been doing that, and I think even a couple of you have gotten responses back from InStock Trades about it, which is great. That Like, you cannot... You cannot beat that, telling them directly that uh, you're buying stuff because of the show. So that, that is a tremendous help. So thanks a lot, and keep it up. Woohoo! Right. Uh, yes, as Shag mentioned, we are going to be covering the new books this week, and one old one, of course. Uh, we're starting off with Aquaman number 23, chapter 5 of Death of a King, called Dead End. It's, of course, by Jeff Johns, Paul Pelletier, Sean Parsons. Uh, brief priestess here, it opens up with... Aquaman and Mira, right at the uh, right in, in Zebel, as they're being chased by Nerys and his uh, army of bad guys. Uh, they Mira and Aquaman talk a little bit about what's going on. Mira reveals that she was once betrothed to Nerys, uh, but they, you know they're all about keeping secrets, those two. So it's not that big of a deal. Mira says that she can. <laughs> Mira says that she can reopen the portal back to their home dimension. While Nerys is going to fight to keep it closed, she uses her powers. Uh, to force it open using uh, an extraordinary effort. Aquaman and Mira get through. They celebrate for a moment by smooching, which is kind of nice. They head to Atlantis. Meanwhile, uh, Merc wastes a couple of our pages. Then we uh, go back to Atlantis. And, uh, <laughs> well, now basically, Merc talks about how he's willing to kill anybody who gets in his way of rescuing uh, Ocean Master, and Tula is not too keen on that idea. And they start to argue, and then right at that moment, uh, Tula gets a messaging that Atlantis is under attack. And we see for ourselves Atlantis is under attack by Scavenger's men. Urn, the greatly named Urn, uh, fights with tremendous courage and ferocity. And he believes in Aquaman. He believes in his king and says, don't worry, the king will be here. And he is proven right when Aquaman and Amira show up. Urn uh, then sacrifices himself by getting in the way of a missile 
aimed at Aquaman, fired by the scavenger sub. Urn dies. Aquaman is very upset. He tells everyone to fall back. Initially, the men are like, what? What? Fall back? And he's like, you know, basically, fall back! So they all do, and we see... (laughs) (laughs) I don't think I've ever heard you that aggressive before. Okay. So, uh, and we see why. It's because he has called Topo who is, of course, now no longer a cute octopus, but, in fact, a giant Cthulhu-like sea monster. Kraken. Uh, Kraken. Uh, he, he summons Topo, who comes in, grabs the subs, and just tosses them around. Uh, he also cracks open uh, the throne room, and we see part of it collapse onto Scavenger as he's sitting on the throne. Aquaman and Mira take a moment to relax, and then just at that moment, the dead king shows up blasts uh, Aquaman using that sort of giant scepter that he's got. Aquaman passes out. His last thoughts or his last, the last thing he sees and hears is Mira yelling for, her to, for him to take her hand. He blacks out. Then we cut, and we see Aquaman waking up, and we see Volko, surprisingly enough, being the one who wakes him up. And we, then we, uh, we pan back. We see that Volko and Aquaman are in some sort of tent, and six months have passed so long that Aquaman has now grown an aqua beard. Uh, and that is the end of the issue. Now, unfortunately, we have to wait two months for this story to get resolved because next month is the Villains Month. I don't want to say unfortunately because I'm sure those will be a lot of fun. But in terms of the story, Aquaman number 24 will not be out for two more months. So we won't know until October what the heck went on here uh, that Aquaman has been gone for six months. But that is the end of the issue with uh, our, 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 beer, our, our now bearded hero. Is the beard permanent? I have no idea. I'd be okay with it if it was. I think he looked great on uh, uh, Brave and the Bold. So, yeah, I, I'm I'm perfectly fine with bearded Aquaman. Um, you know, he's got a long history of it. I mean, he had it mm-hmm. all through Peter David's run, and right. you know, the the cartoon, and yeah, yeah. makes he's, him look a little more manly. He's got it on the cover in like the next two issues, so at least at least, at least keeps it for a little while. Oh, okay. Um, overall, I like this issue quite a bit. Uh, there are there are some you know the the big shot of. Uh, Topo attacking Atlantis is like sort of the money shot. Very well done by Pelletier and Parsons and, and Reese. There's some moments art-wise where I feel like some panels get a little cramped. Like when Aquaman bursts into Atlantis and sort of helps rescue Urn, I feel like that could have had a little more, that it had a little more space to breathe. Um, it would have been more powerful. But there's a lot of story and uh, Pelletier probably had to cram a whole lot in. I, you know, I'm really happy that Aquaman and Mirror are back together, only to have them split up again. Thanks, Jeff Johns. Um, well, maybe she's in the cot next to him. Ma- maybe. I'm going to bet that she isn't. But, <laughs> Pretty safe bet. I, I think I know where yeah, she is. Yeah. Um, but uh, but overall, like I said, a, a, you know, a, a, a good issue. Uh, I don't know. I don't think I have a – I didn't – I've read it twice now or three times, and I didn't have a whole lot more to say about it beyond that. I mean, it was just, you know, a solid installment of this story, but I am more curious than anything else about it the six months thing about where that's going and what even the purpose of that is. And I am frustrated that we're just going to take it much longer to get back to Salty, the sea dog. The dog's dead. I'm sorry. Six months, no food. Come on. Well, somebody fed him for God's sake. Now, question, do we know, I mean, is this, is this the conclusion of the dead King story or not? I'm going to, I thought it was. Yeah. Well, I mean, yes and no. I mean, the dead King is, still a bad guy at the end of the book so you know something happened to him right i mean it's it's i'm like i'm having a hard time deciding if this was the end of a story or not like 
I guess what I'm saying is like uh, the Dead King story because you know Jeff Johns writes in trade paperback for yep. it. Yep. Fact. You know, is this the end of a trade paperback? If it is, it feels a little anticlimactic because like it didn't really end. I mean, they they beat uh, um, Scavenger. Right. Scavenger's defeated. Right. There you go. So, so you get that. Um, although I don't know that we do we actually see Scavenger himself go down. So no, we 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 see the roof of the throne room collapse onto Scavenger. We don't see it hit him, so we don't necessarily know that he's been thoroughly defeated. Although we know his presumably his plan to take over Atlantis has been defeated. Okay, so we get we get a conclusion of that storyline, which is good. Okay, we don't really get a conclusion of the of the Dead King storyline. No, not at all. So that's left hanging, and then he wakes up the six months later, and you know what it feels like to me is like um it feels like. New Battlestar Galactica, New Caprica story, if that has any meaning to you at all. Yes, I watched I watched BSG. I didn't watch Caprica, but I did watch BSG. Well, I don't mean the TV series Caprica. I'm sorry. In the middle of the BSG storyline. Oh, the season three where they were down on... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. They were on a, they were on a new planet. It was New Caprica, and all this crap had happened to them. And it sort of feels that way when he wakes up, because it's six months later... Clearly a lot has happened. If you look behind Volko on the wall, there's a map of the world with all these little areas circled in the ocean, which implies, you know, for whatever reason, Volko has been paying attention to those areas of the ocean. Hmm, that's catch. I didn't really notice that. I kind of viewed that as, I don't know, either great battle sites or searching for something or whatever, but it's, it's clearly a critical part of that story. So New Caprica is what came to my mind when I saw this. Because also, if you notice, they're living in a tent. Which means they're on the surface, and it's a temporary shelter. Right, right, okay. I buy that. It's a, in fact, it looks like a mash unit. It, it does. It does. You see the little... It reminded me, actually, of... Uh, did you see Skyfall? I have not. That's how Skyfall opens, is that James Bond gets presumably killed, and then he is off the grid for, like, six months. And he grows a beard, and he's got super hard abs like Daniel Craig. So it reminded me of, <laughs> reminded me of Skyfall <laughs> quite a bit. Now, you made fun of Merc. But uh, there is there's some important stuff that Mark says here with his little friend Spaz or whatever the guy's name is. Slap? Uh, yeah, something like that. Something like that. Where they get in each other's face. And Mark says that the sh- that, that character... Swat. Swat. Swat feels shame for something he did with human beings. Mm-hmm. And, and Mark, for some reason, has a secret for his incredible disdain for human beings. So, clearly, there's some connection that we're going to find out over time. So, I mean, there's something going on with Merc and human beings, and there's something going on with SWAT with human beings. My guess with Merc is it's something as simple as they damaged his face. Now, Merc, obviously, is supposed to represent the Peter David Aquaman. I mean, if you look at him, he's got, you know, he's got the hook hand, he's got the shoulder carapace, he's got even pants similar to, a little bit, to the Peter David Aquaman. And when... Aquaman woke up after six months, and this was the first time I read it. The second time I read it, I felt differently. But the first time I read it, I thought maybe this was supposed to be another Peter David sort of look. Because he's got the green pants and the Aquaman belt, but no shirt. Mm-hmm. His shoulder is bandaged, almost like that piece, but that's but he's got both shoulders, really. He's got a beard. You know, for a second there, I thought he was supposed to be sort of like the Peter David Aquaman without a hooked hand, though. Do you see what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But but in hindsight, I, I don't think that's the case at all. And I'll say why a little bit later. <laughs> Foreshadowing. So we know that all the heroes are going to die before Forever Evil or during Forever Evil or something. The world will be without heroes, which is supposedly where Villains Month comes from. Uh, 
is Aquaman going to be one of those heroes that dies, or are they using him being out of commission for six months to explain why he's not there? Hmm, that's a good question. It seems like a perfect time to do it. And I guess I shouldn't say the heroes all died. I should say the heroes weren't around anymore. My guess is they get just shunted off to a parallel world, is my guess. But So I didn't know whether the six months was used to, to fit in well with that, that Forever Evil storyline, or if it's just something else altogether. I don't know. I believe Mera, by the way, is sitting on the throne of Atlantis, and she is unfortunately a puppet queen for the first king or whatever. Hmm. Sort of like she doesn't want to be in the position, but she's forced to, to like, for some reason she's taken the throne to protect the people of Atlantis because she's the rightful heir, but she doesn't really truly have the power because the first king is barking orders at her and all this stuff. That's kind of, it's totally guesswork, but that's kind of my speculation. It's weird. On the one hand, it's like I don't want to see him take on the dead king again. I feel like we've had enough of the dead king. But yet the fact that you didn't wrap up the story, it would yeah. be anticlimactic if, you know, after six months, uh, Vocal's like, oh, by the way, dead king got killed. So anyway, you know. <laughs> I like the dead king. I think he could be a cool sort of reoccurring nemesis, not like a Lex Luthor kind of thing, but having a storyline where he's still having to battle him. I think that would be great. Mm. As I'm flipping through here, I was very upset with the death of Urn. Why is that? Well, just because they finally introduced a character that's on Aquaman's side mm-hmm. in Atlantis. He's a cool dude. We haven't had a cool Atlantean soldier since, what, Rodan or whatever his name was? There was yeah, Rodan, yeah. And I, I like the idea of Aquaman having a general, if you will. And then, pff, dead. Yeah. Like, ah, friggin' frack. <laughs> really mad about that. Jeff Johns likes dangling things and then taking it away. So you're not going to say anything about the voo-voo-voo concentric circles? I said that in the last issue that he did that. It's still really freaking Yeah, it cool. is. It's very well done. I like that it's. I like that they add the sound effect to the circles. Uh, he did that last month. They even did it the month before. But it's nice. It's a. It's a. That's got to be a pain in the butt to do, even with Photoshop. Uh, but it uh, looks very nice. That's a font, don't you think? Yeah, but you still have to put the text in in that circular motion. <laughs> so we should make a program that does that. So the Kraken really looks like. I'm sorry, Topo. Topo, the cute little octopus, really looks like he does some serious damage to the city of Atlantis, too. Yeah, I know. It's like uh, Aquaman saved Atlantis, but at what cost? It's Godzilla. It's Godzilla syndrome. <laughs> well, are, do you, are you interested, excited, thought anything about the Black Man and Ocean Master stories coming? Not terribly. I mean, I'm sure they'll be fine. Uh, you, uh, you talked to, uh, I know you're on the Firestorm fans today, you talked to Sterling Gates. And yep. he, he co-wrote the Ocean Master one. Oh, did he really? Yes, he did. Well, he's, he's credited on DC. It says, written by Jeff Johns and Sterling Gates. And I'm looking forward to the work of Geraldo Borges, who we'll have an interview with next week on the Shrine. His stuff oh, congratulations. Is, his stuff is very, very nice, and he's doing the annual as well. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, and I'm sure it'll be fine. I just, you know, I don't know. I, I, we've, you know, God, we covered this already, but it just, you know, i am got the event fatigue kind of thing, and I'm just like, okay, alright, Villains Month, okay. <laughs> like, I, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm interested in, I'm interested in, in reading the continuing adventures of Aquaman, and next month we're losing him for a month for the villains, two months ago we lost him for the others for a month, you know, I feel like, good lord, he's, and, you know, I've been waiting for so long for her and, uh, him and Mira to get back together, and they did, and now they're probably going to be separated again. <laughs> Hopefully she'll be in the six-month-later period. I hope. And everything will be there okay. I've actually sort of turned a corner on Villains Month, and I'm actually looking forward to it. Not necessarily Forever Evil, but I am looking forward to Villains Month, and here's why. Because 
in the old days, we used to get you know, hundreds of page giants or anthology books or whatever, and you would get, or, or even the Secret Origins comic. Remember that, Secret Origins? Mm-hmm. The or Secret Files. That's what I'm trying to say, Secret Files. And you would get little short stories with other characters in, in that universe. So if you got the Aquaman book, you might get to read, I don't know, uh, I'm making this up, but a short story about Deep Blue or some other character from the series that wouldn't normally be featured. Well, I feel like the Others issue in here worked well for that. And I feel like now the Villains Month, unless they're just pushing the Forever Evil agenda in the story, which I don't think all of them are going to do, I don't get the sense that Killer Frost is going to. I feel like, you know, this is a great little opportunity to get a little window into another character in our little universe that doesn't get the focus all the time. Mm-hmm. So I'm really looking forward to reading the Black uh, Mana issue. Ocean Master, I don't know. I'm a little worried that's going to be too much of the Forever Evil. Because you said that's the one Jeff Johns is co-writing, isn't that right? I believe, I believe so. It just strikes me that I'll probably be pushing the Forever Evil agenda then. I mean, I'm happy that Aquaman's getting two, you know? Wouldn't that, yeah. you, know, you know, before New 52, he wouldn't have gotten two of any spinoff tie-in books. So I'm happy he's getting two. I mean, Batman's got like 17, but I just, you know, it's like, wow, Aquaman's getting two books that month. That's pretty cool. So does I guess that count as two issues of Aquaman? They're calling it 21, 23.1 and 23.2. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I, you know, yeah, it'll be two, two complete issues of Aquaman, if, although I don't think he's going to make much of an appearance in either one. Yeah, I imagine it just being flashbacks. It appears, I mean, just simply off the, the preview art I've seen, it, it seems like that that's going to be what it's going to be for Firestorm. I mean, apparently, Killer Frost will be there, and you might see Firestorm. You will see Firestorm in a flashback. I don't think we're going to get much more than that. So, so I'm excited for Villains Month. I think it has potential to be a lot of fun, and we get to see some stories that we wouldn't normally see. So, I would love to see if they're going to do. I would like to see. Well, once once they get rid of Merc, please. Uh, Jeez. Then I want to see Tula get her own thing. I'd like to see her get fully fleshed out into the role of Aqua Girl, which I'm sure is in her future. She really isn't much of a character yet, is she? No. I mean, no. She, we learned a good amount about her in her first appearance, or her first spe- real, real speaking part, I guess is how we should say. Because I think she was a background character for a little while. But in her first really big speaking part, we learned a, a fair amount about her. But since then, she's just been hanging around with mm-hmm. Scrat and Merc. Yep. So. Yeah, I'd like to see her get a, a bigger shake. I like. I I will miss probably the the other the the last Aqua Girl they had. Uh, well, who, Lorna was great. Yeah, who I loved. I really loved that character. And in fact, the Aquaman little spec script that I wrote that no one ever got to see. Uh, she was the, the the character I included along with Aquaman and Mira because I liked her so much. So I'm I'm sorry that she's probably never going to come back. But I'm glad there will be some Aqua Girl in this universe. They haven't made any steps towards giving us an Aqua Lad, have they? No, they were talking about it, supposedly. I mean, I don't know what the point of introducing Jackson was in Brightest Day, and then you just bring him, don't use him at all. I guess the point they're, they're at now is Black Man is too young to have a 17-year-old a son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It would have been cool. I would have liked it. So I, I really enjoyed this issue. I thought it was very pretty. I thought it had... It was a good running issue. You know, everything was just motion, motion, motion. Everything was moving. The pace was good. It had a good clip. And up until the last page, I felt like, wow, we're, we're getting a really big, nice conclusion here. So <laughs> it, it still felt satisfying. You know, it felt like the last bite of a cookie. It did. It, it really did. Even though when I stopped to look back at it, I'm like, oh, nothing got resolved. Huh. 
and and I I do dig the jump six months forward. I really like that. That I love that kind of stuff. When they did that in Legion of Superheroes, you know that book you love so much. Yes. Where they jump forward five years, that was so cool. They, you, everything you just you had to wonder what happened during that year, you know, or those five years. DC tried to do that with one year later. Some books did it to good advantage. Most books did not. The books that did it well, it was really compelling to make you wonder what happened during that year. So I hope they kind of keep it a mystery as to what happened during the six months. They don't just go, and here's what happened. Yeah, that would be, yeah, I hope so, that they don't make that vomity sound effect. That would be great. (laughs) All right. Anything else? Not really. Well, then uh, we need to talk a little bit about, at least, not a lot, about Justice League number 23, Trinity War, part six of six. Now, folks, fair warning, this discussion will be spoilerific. I mean, there's almost no way to have this discussion without it being spoilerific. Right. So if you haven't read Trinity War, part six of six, the final part, uh, Justice League number 23, and if you don't, and if you care and don't want it spoiled, jump forward about, I don't know, five or ten minutes. So I assume you've read it. Yes. I love how the first page you get Aquaman with his uh, aqua bling. Sorry, I just got distracted. Did Aquaman have long hair at one point in the New 52? No. 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 Well, on the second page when they're fighting Starro, almost looks like Aquaman had long hair back then. A little bit. But, I mean, that's all the goop and stuff. I love the the sort of reimagining, although I hate that word, of the classic Starro image uh, of the Justice League done by the boys. And it looks beautiful. There's a there's I mean this whole double page spread features three classic JLA shots from Brave mm-hmm. and the Bold. Brave, actually it's from Brave and the Bold 28, 29 and 30, redone with the new Justice League, which I really really enjoy. I it's makes me long for a JLA book where they actually fight villains together. <laughs> <laughs> and Martian Manhunters uh, battling was that the Weapon Master? Was that who that was? I think I want to say his name is Weapon Master. But either way, Marsh Manhunter was part of the team at that time. That's worth noting, because Marsh Manhunter was only with the Justice League for a short while in the New 52. So, <laughs> neat. So, a couple big things to talk about. Uh, one thing I want to talk about is not specific to Firestorm or Aquaman. I just want to get it out there. The Outsider, the guy with the, the, the bowler hat, mm-hmm. the big bad. Okay. He had something in, what was it, Flashpoint. He had a story, like a three-issue miniseries, The Outsider or something oh, like that. Oh, that's right. That's right, yeah. Yep, and he's back here. Now, maybe it's just me, but I've always known who this guy is. I've never read any comics with The Outsider. I've never read the the Flashpoint ones other than him being in these Justice League books kind of like in the background. I never knew anything about him. Maybe it was all revealed in Flashpoint, and and everyone knows it except for me. But, like, it was clearly obvious to me who The Outsider was all this time simply by his name and the fact that I read Who's Who. (laughs) Because, and this is one of the big spoilers, folks, sorry, warning, but the outsider is Alfred Pennyworth right. from A Parallel World. And if you know your pre-crisis history, Alfred was turned into a weird, creepy villain on a few occasions called the outsider. Which we'll get to on the Who's show in like four months. That's soon? I was going to say five years. Maybe, ago. maybe, something like that. <laughs> so it's like, I don't know, it was a big reveal, and I guess for someone who doesn't know the, the history, it probably was like a, a what? You know, it was done pretty well. But I guess for me, the whole time, it was like, I know who this is. I know where this is going, you know? Overall, I, I enjoyed the Trinity War. I, I didn't expect to going in. I, didn't, I did not think I would enjoy it. And I found myself enjoying it more and more every single issue. I was like, ooh, ooh, I, okay, the, the heroes are not fighting each other as much as I thought they would. 
Mm-hmm. So, which made me happier. They were worried. There was a lot of collaborativeness going on, even though they didn't necessarily trust each other. They were working together. They were they were building bridges, which was nice. Until this issue, where the thing that bothered me about this issue was this issue reveals that the Trinity War was not a story. The Trinity War was a prelude to the Forever Evil miniseries. More continuation. So that, like, when I got to that point, it was like, oh, really? I kind of thought this was going to be a story, but it's not. And so that really kind of disappointed me. So I wish it had reached a full-on conclusion of being a story rather than being a to-be-continued in Forever Evil. Yeah, yeah, me too. Me too. So let's get into the, some of the nitty-gritty issues. The, the big reason we really needed to talk about this issue is, if you haven't read it, folks, the big news is both Aquaman and Firestorm finally, after how many years, 40 years, 50 years, finally got opposite members in the crime syndicate. Yes, Woo! yes. I mean, the crime syndicate has been around as a concept since Justice League number 29 back in, like, 1964. So, uh, yeah, this is the very first time they've ever, they've ever bothered to do a... Crime Syndicate Aquaman, and the first time they've ever done a Crime Syndicate Firestorm. So, and that's been—I mean, that's been thirty years or twenty-five years since he joined the Justice League. So, I mean, it's obviously a lot longer for Aquaman, but still. So, many of you already knew that was going to happen for Firestorm. We, it had been promoted. We knew that Deathstorm was being reimagined as a Crime Syndicate version, and it, thankfully, after hearing him talk, he is not like the old Deathstorm. Completely different personality, which I'm very happy about. It's not it's supposed to be a '90s riff. Um, were you aware going in that Aquaman was going to get a crime syndicate person? Uh, yes and no. Um, and some people on our Twitter feed sort of hinted at it. And I guess they had seen things that I didn't necessarily know about. And I was like, hmm, what does that mean? You know, but I didn't know going in. So when I got to the page where it's the big reveal, I was uh, genuinely like, whoa, hey, look at him. Cool. Another action figure. And, uh, (laughs) but unfortunately, uh, the crime syndicate Aquaman is dispatched all of one panel later. Yeah, he shows up, and it's uh, probably like five-sixths of a page, if you will, or something like that. It's a huge shot of Aquaman coming through the portal. He is, in fact, the first crime dis- crime syndicate member to set foot on Earth, on our Earth, which is pretty impressive. And then, he, yes, as you said, he falls over dead. <laughs> just, did he get shot in the back by one of his own teammates, or did just the journey kill him somehow? Because it looks like he got shot in the back. Quite honestly, it does. It does. I mean, uh, and yeah, they don't actually. They don't say anything about it. So he says, though the well, though the Ultraman does say, though the Sea King didn't make it, we have survived. So that would seem to suggest that they didn't. They weren't the ones that did. Except when he flips over the Sea King's dead body with his foot casually. Well, he doesn't care. Yeah. but it doesn't mean he did it. I, I want to get back to Aquaman. We'll talk about him in a minute. I want to talk about Firestorm. I, oh, the Atom? I was totally heartbroken that the new Atom's I back. know. I really... I, I think it's well done, but I'm, I also don't like it. <laughs> I really like the Atom being in the Justice League, and I don't like her being a traitor. Uh, that, that made me sad. I liked this incarnation of, of Adam I'd seen so far. I thought she was very likable. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I liked yeah. the position she was stuck in. So it, I guess the position I have to say is if I can... Re- it was well done. Never would have suspected in a million years she was the traitor because she was already a traitor, you know, for the Justice League of America. Never thought she was the one. And so I have to say I think her being the traitor works really well, actually. Even though I don't like it because I like the character, I think that's why it works well. Yeah, it's a nice so, surprise. Yeah, 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 absolutely. So I, 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 I think that worked nicely. I kind of dug the grid, too, in a weird, sick way. I mean, it was really <laughs> gross and stuff, but... 
if you're going to have a, a cyborg opposite, that's kind of a creepy, nasty way for it to happen. Mm-hmm. Who's the guy with this head in a bag? Oh, you know what? It's got to be Lex. That would make the most sense. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, if we're going to get two Lexes again, which is a bit of a pain in the butt. <laughs> we'll One of them has got to be Brian Cranston. Be who? Brian Cranston. Who's that? You seriously don't know who Brian Cranston is? Oh, oh, yes, yeah, oh, the Breaking Bad guy, right? Yes, yes. Okay, yeah, 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 yes, yes, yes. You've sorry. Heard, you've heard the news that about him, right? Is that real, or is that, I, I've seen it posted, I don't know if that was just fan wank, or if that's for real. Supposedly it's for real. Okay. Did, did I tell you the news about the casting of Wonder Woman yet? Go ahead, no, go ahead. It's Lady Gaga. All right. They just, an, they just announced it. <laughs> that's where you're supposed to drop an F-bomb. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think we've done it. I don't want to bleep another thing this week. It took a long time to do. So I dug I dug the dialogue from Deathstorm. He's he's slowly manipulating Power Ring, which was kind of cool. So I, I like that. Uh, I'm I'm ready to talk about Aquaman. Do we, this is going to go in a weird way. Do you have anything else to talk about this issue before we get to that? Uh, no, other than um, the guy. I haven't talked about the guys in a little while because we haven't covered just like they are doing tremendous work on this book. I mean, this thing looks so gorgeous. Um, they are just the masters of, like, this spectacle, you know? Uh, they are really killing it on this book. I, I I haven't been paying as much attention to the book lately just because it's Aquaman's been in it so little. But when I looked through it again, I was like, boy, the, the, the boys are really, really killing it. And this issue is particularly very nice. And some great, you know, said the Kapow moments are there and the quiet moments are there. The women are really, you know, very beautiful, very sexy, and the, the grid is creepy and everything. They get... You know, I totally, they've completely earned DC's um, promotion to their marquee title because they are just killing it. Well, I, honestly, I think they earned it in their first couple issues with that Atlantis attack story. But That's, yeah, well, this, right, this, right, right, right. this is amazing. This is really well done. I like how they reimagined the free comic book day page for Trinity War. Do you remember, for, like a year or two ago, we got that free comic book day? issue and it had trinity war coming soon and it had a, a splash page of all the heroes sort of fighting each other and different right. things like that well the middle one the middle page in this comic or not in the middle but close to the front i guess whatever is a reimagining of that shot so it's sort of the justification saying hey remember that scene we showed you a year or two ago here's how it really looks huh, i didn't even realize that but you're right yeah i usually am in fact they even gave mara something to hold because she did in the in the other thing she had one of the staffs right so they gave her they gave her something that looks sort of like a staff to use so the guys did an amazing job with the art. And like you said, the women are beautiful. I like how each one is distinctive. A lot of times guys have a hard time drawing girls distinctively. Like yeah, they all look every, like the they're, same. Right. They're, everybody's face is a little different. That's that's one of the things they're really good at. Wonder Woman, the Atom, and Superwoman all have extremely different faces. And Superwoman is really sexy. I don't normally say that about that character, but they really pulled it off. Yeah. So. Yeah, they did say they did a, they did a, they do a really great job. All right. You're, well, you're, you're putting off your rant because you feel uncomfortable about it. No, but, I don't feel uncomfortable. Okay, I'm trying well, to get everything else out of the way. All right. Let's talk about it. So, Aquaman, the Earth 3 Aquaman, the crime syndicate Aquaman, who's here for 30 seconds and then dies, or not even that, three seconds, and then dies, is, without a doubt, a representation of the Peter David Aquaman. He's got the long flowing hair. He's got the you know savage beard. He's got the hook hand. In this case, it's more like lobster claws. He's got the shoulder protector thing. I mean, he's uh, he's, he's. I mean, am I wrong? It's Peter Davis Aquaman. Pretty much. And he's here, and he dies <laughs> immediately. Oh my God! They killed Earth two or three Aquaman. You <laughs> bastards! That's the word I'm ready to use. Oh Personally, you know what, Jeff Jeff Johns, who wrote Aquaman. 
the last 23 issues and has had Merck in there as a representation of Peter David's Aquaman, who wrote this issue of Justice League that has a representation of Peter David's Aquaman dying. As a fan of the Peter David Aquaman run, I have personally had enough. We get it. You're bashing on Peter David's run on Aquaman. Okay. Enough. Just because it's something from the 90s doesn't mean it should be a target. I'm particularly ticked off about this because I think very highly Peter David's run on Aquaman. He, and we talked about this a little before we got started, Peter David, as far as we can figure out, has written more Aquaman stories. I don't know about the Golden Age, because I don't know who was writing this stuff back then, but Peter David has written more Aquaman stories than any other single writer. He's written over 50 issues of Aquaman between his run in the series and annuals and the Time and Tide miniseries and all that. He had, did more for the character in the 90s than anyone else had done in years. Even though that Neil Posner miniseries was so cool... With the blue suit, it went nowhere. Peter David's run became popular. It sold a crap ton of comics. It got into merchandising. You got action figures. It made Aquaman a household, not a household name, but it made him popular again. And you got to respect that. And there's some good stories in there. And personally, I'm sick of seeing him getting knocked down a peg or two constantly. So I'm a little ticked about that. Apparently. Rob, I I know you feel a little differently about Peter David's run. Right. That would be to expound upon I'm not, that. I'm not a big fan of it. I I wasn't a big fan of it at the time. I have come to appreciate it a little more than I did, but I I, I just I, you know I'm I'm not just a huge fan. I I have acknowledged on the shrine many many times, like what you said. He brought a level of popularity and sort of quasi heat to the character that had, he had not had in a long time. And he absolutely deserves all the credit in the world for that. Um, and and the '90s Aquaman was of its time, where they were, you know, kind of rebuilding, reimagining a lot of these characters from, in, a, in a lot of radical ways. And there was part of that, but I still remain grudgingly kind of okay with it because uh, <laughs> because there's a lot of it I don't like. There's just a lot of it that I personally don't like and don't think was terribly successful and. You know, uh, I, I feel like it hasn't aged well, and so you know, I'm, I'm happy to, to see that it's been pushed into the dustbin of history. But I will agree that you know there is there does seem a bit of like Jeff Johns is going out of his way to constantly bring back this version of Aquaman just to sort of dump on him. Right, like he brings back Justice League Detroit every chance he gets, and they're revered. I mean, even even in the in the Blackest Night when they were running around as zombies killing people, there was still sort of a, it was a little bit of a love letter to it still. Anyway, this is not a love letter. This is a shoot it in the back, you know? <laughs> Literally, he gets shot in the back. So, what I, you know, I'd, I'd be interested, since Rob and I are kind of on opposite sides of this issue, I would be interested to hear from the fans, from the listeners, not the fans, but the fans of Aquaman, the listeners to the show, what you guys, how you guys feel about the Peter David Aquaman. Am I the only one out there that still loves it? Am I the only one who's still a fan? Now, I haven't read it in years, so maybe if I reread it, I would feel you're right, it didn't age well. I don't know. But I loved it at the time, and I think it's worth standing up for. I'd like to know what the fans think about it, or the fans of Aquaman think about it. Let us know right into the show. Um, what's our email address, Rob? Firewaterpodcast at Comcast.net. Yep. Now, we're not wrapping up here, but i just putting it out there for you guys to contact information. You also hit us up on Facebook. You can put it in the comments of the show. Hit us up on Google+, Plus. you know, whatever. Just share your thoughts, because I would like the chance to read some of those thoughts and talk about it. And you know what, Rob? I say we do an episode of this show about some aspect of the Peter David document. I don't want to do the whole Peter David run simply because I don't have time to read over 50 comics uh, to, in preparation for the show. 
which are reread, I should say. But maybe we'll uh, pick a particular story or something to cover. That sounds reasonable. It's, it is one aspect of the. I've tried to always give the character that that era of it, a, you know, a decent shake on the shrine. But I, I'm sure that in the end, I I, I don't give it the coverage. Uh, proportionate to how long it was successful because like I said I just tend to shy away from those stories and of all the Aquaman comics that I go back and read those are the ones I reread the least as in I don't reread you know what I just realized this is a little bit fitting that we're having this discussion right now because this is episode 64 of the Fire and Water podcast every single run of Aquaman with the exception of one died on the vine to issue 63 or earlier uh, well, yeah. Only only one run of Aquaman made it past issue sixty three. Right, and that was that was sort of that technically the, Peter David's run. Well, it was the run that Peter David started. Yes, he got up to number fifty, and then Larson well, did he, it for a year, he, and then Jurgen took it for another year. Right, but, but Peter David got, Peter David kept it going for yes, fifty issues. He did. He absolutely and did. If he had kept writing it, I, I think it would have lasted a lot longer. I mean, we know we all know the Eric Larson just totally torpedoed that book. I mean. It's just a fact. So I'm, I'm just, I think it's kind of interesting that we're at, we're at episode 64, you know, sort of a milestone passing Aquaman series. So it's time to start talking about this run of Aquaman. Let's talk about Peter David. So we're going to do it sometime soon. So Forever Evil, uh, go buy it if you're into it. Um, <laughs> what a plug. I, I can't. I, I, at this point, I am not planning to buy Forever Evil. I will probably flip through it in the store, and I will certainly pay attention to the Death Storm parts. If there's some really big Deathstorm-centric story, you know, maybe, or issue, maybe I'll get it. But I, I don't have a lot of passion for this, even though I used to love me the crime syndicate. Are you planning to get it? No. Yeah. <laughs> no. All right, folks. Uh, on that happy note, uh, <laughs> we're gonna, I'm going gonna to catch my breath, and uh, we're going to take a break. And when we come back on the other side, we're going to cover Firestorm Classic, number three. Awesome. <laughs> Okay, let's get going. I'll pitch in, Alex. I guess you're first up. Susan, your catcher, okay? Okay. Aren't you going to use your catcher's safety equipment? We're in a hurry, Aquaman. I hate to take time to put it on. There's always time to play it safe. It takes only a few minutes, and it saves you a lot of unnecessary bumps and bruises. You're right, Aquaman. I want to have fun, not accidents. Play ball! Again, this time with no hands. Batman will love it. Wanna watch his race? This time we're gonna do it with no hands. Hey, isn't that dangerous? Well, gives you a chance to show what a good bike rider you are. The only thing showing off does is give you a chance to get hurt. Hadn't thought about that. You're right, thanks. He joined the crusade. He helped rule the night. He fought for justice. He wore short pants. Okay, so Robin and always have the best fashion sense. But there's no way that he should be ignored, ridiculed, or even derided. He's been an important part of Batman's history for nearly 75 years. And that's why I've decided to give him his due in taking flight 
presented by the Batman Universe, Taking Flight is a podcast dedicated to all incarnations of the Boy Wonder. And every episode, I take a look at the adventures of Dick Grayson, Jason Todd, Tim Drake, Stephanie Brown, Damian Wayne, and all the others who have worn the red, green, and gold at the side of the Cape Crusader. New episodes appear every two weeks at the Batman Universe, which can be found at thebatmanuniverse.net. So join me, Tom Panneries, as I put the spotlight on the greatest sidekick in comicdom. And we're back, just in time for Fury of Firestorm, the Nuclear Man classic. Woo! I love these segments. And judging by the feedback we've gotten from the listeners, so do you at home. Dead air, Rob. Way yeah. to go. Well, I, you know, what do you want me to say? <laughs> I love them too, Shaq. <laughs> I do. I do enjoy it very much. I love this cover in particular. This is a very beautifully composed and colored cover. The contrasts are really, really nice. It's, a, it's very startling. I remember buying this one off the newsstand at the time. Really? Mm-hmm. How very cool. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the red, the yellow, and the blue, obviously all your primary colors work really well together on this cover. So. Yeah, it really cover, pops. Covered by Pat Broderick and Dick Giordano, and it is a very, very nice one. So, And there's your answer from Who's Who. We talked a couple weeks ago when Killer Frost was there. You asked me about her skirt and how long those little angled yeah. uh, snowflakes lasted. <laughs> yeah. They're still there, but they're getting a little looser. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes, folks, this is Fury Fires from the Nuclear Man number three. Cover dated August 1982. Actually, it hit the shelves. So set your Wayback Machine hit the shelves on May 6th, 1982. And the cover does have Firestorm sort of trying to shield himself with his nuclear symbol. And attacking him is Killer Frost. She's throwing uh, ice daggers at him. Like little you know machine guns. And it says, there'll be a cold time in the old town tonight. Actually, you get another tagline, too. Killer Frost is back to face the Fury of Fires from the Nuclear Man. That's a, that's a whole lot of words on the cover. I like the wavy lettering. Do you like the wavy logo? I do. Well, I like yeah. that, I like that the, the, the tagline is corresponding with the curves of the logo. Okay. See, so the wavy Firestorm, Fury of Firestorm logo is kind of uh, something that's discussed among the fans quite a bit. Because it only lasted for, I don't know, something like seven or eight issues. I don't remember the exact number. Maybe it was to 12, somewhere in that range. Either way, it went away in, in the second year, and it became just a straight across logo. The waviness was gone. And for a lot of people, that waviness, is, it really means something to them. <laughs> I came in during the straight, what I called like the bar logo era. So that's kind of my thing, but whatever. Anyway, cover price. 60 cents, and guess what? It's all new. Says it right on the cover. <laughs> and folks, this jam is written by Jerry Conway with art by Pat Broderick. Uh, embellisher, inker, Roden Rodriguez, Todd Klein, letterer, Gene D'Angelo, colorist, and editor, Len Wein. So if you, if you look at this issue in whole, essentially what this issue is, it's this issue, like all the previous ones, all two that I've talked about, have a lot of scenes and a lot of things going on, but if you look at it from a whole, what this issue is about, it's about Ronnie Raymond's personal life going down the toilet. He is sinking into despair. Well, as a contrast, you've got Killer Frost rising to power. That, that In general, that's what this issue is about. But we're going to run through the kind of storyline real quick and get you up to speed in case you don't have it at home. By the way, if you don't have these issues, we've mentioned it before, you can go out and get them. You can order these online fairly cheaply. 
and they're well worth it. Uh, Lou Dobb just picked up a whole bunch of them in a, like a 50-cent bin or a real cheap discount bin. And they're out there, folks. You can find them. And, and they're, gosh, they're for me, they're so much more satisfying than a lot of modern-day comics. You get so much more story packed into this. So I like a lot of words, though. So, <laughs> All right. The first scene is a six-page scene basically where Firestorm is confronting a pair of muggers who were responsible two issues ago for killing an elderly Native American, which led to the creation of the Black Bison villain Firestorm was fighting for the last two issues. So these muggers basically knocked out this old guy to steal his money and ended up killing him. So Firestorm has been working for quite a while trying to hunt down these killers, and he's been staking out things like bars and places like that, dives. And he's just like, I like how he's just floating in the air above the bar door, watching people who come out. <laughs> and uh, dare I say it, he's sitting Indian style. So during this, uh, of course, Fire, uh, Ronnie Raymond and Professor Stein are arguing the whole time about the best way to approach all of this, which is sort of a hallmark of the characters. The muggers, uh, they, they, they follow these two guys coming out of a bar, and the muggers sort of reveal themselves by mentioning they knocked over a lousy old guy, and all they got were these beads, and it's a, it's a Native American bracelet. So Firestorm decides, that's it. These are the guys who killed um, the Native American, and we are going to take them out. So Firestorm literally hunts them down. Not just like a superhero like chasing somebody. He goes vigilante style. He actually blows up one guy's cigarette by causing a burn on the guy's face. The other guy, he chases him out into the middle of the road. The guy almost gets hit by a truck, and Firestorm's prepared to let the guy die. And at the last moment, because <laughs> Professor Stein's screaming at him, he saves the dude. And he sort of regrets it. I mean, he's, in, in the end, if you look closely, Firestorm is flying away. He's in tears. I didn't notice that until this, this read. He actually has tears in his eyes. And he's upset because basically these punks killed an old man just so they could buy a couple of drinks. So he just feels like he doesn't really understand the world he's growing up in. Then the next scene is a funeral for this Native American gentleman I was speaking of. His name is Bison um, Black is Midnight Sky. And he is the great-grandfather of uh, John Ravenair, who became the Black Bison. Ronnie's there, along with a bunch of kids from school. Professor Stein is there, watching in the distance. You get some good foreshadowing, them wondering if Black Bison will return someday. And then you get to the real rub of this scene, which is... Doreen. I knew it. Your favorite character coming in. Doreen frickin' Day. She gets up in Ronnie's face because I'm going to see if I, I can translate this into words. I'm having a hard time, personally. She is mad at Ronnie because when Ronnie disappeared, she was worried about him. And now she feels Ronnie is being all cavalier about the fact that she was worried about him. I'm having a hard time following this logic. <laughs> I get it that girls get emotional. Wow, look at that. I just oh, no. Yeah, I know. I, I, wow. Hold on. Let me back up a step. I get it that in romance, with typical cheesy romance stories, the, the female lead character typically gets emotionally upset about the way the guy is treated. And that's what I was trying to say. I wasn't talking about real life. I was talking about, you know, soap opera. You know, is what I'm trying to say. In soap opera, the female lead always gets upset at the guy because of the way they treated him. This one here, I don't know. I don't know. What, I like, I'm trying to follow why she's mad at him. And, and this isn't a crack against Jerry Conway. It's more crack against Doreen Day, honestly. I, uh, ugh, I well, I'll hear your opinion. <laughs> I would like to hear your opinion on this. All right. Then we, the next scene takes place in a courtroom. 
and it's the pre-trial hearing of Killer Frost. She was captured in a recent Justice League story with the uh, Secret Society of Supervillains. I love that story. And it's a it's a good one. Um, there's some goofy stuff with Firestorm. If I remember, he's like hovering over the crowd, like giving commentary. Maybe I don't know. I have to reread this. It's been a while. So anyway, she's on trial, and the judge feels that keeping her in a giant freezer is sort of inhumane treatment. And they say that she deserves to, you know, be out of this contraption and demonstrate whether she's really a dangerous society or not. So, of course, they let Killer Frost free, and she immediately freezes the courtroom. She kills the bailiff. It's like that scene in Ghostbusters. Right, it is sort of, yeah. She freezes the bailiff. She kisses and freezes the prosecuting attorney. There's a camera crew there, so she decides that she is not interested in taking over the world anymore. She just wants to take over New York, and she declares it to everyone via broadcast television. The next scene cuts to Ronnie and his friend Jeff Jackson getting off of school. And this is another scene where Doreen Day gets to snub Ronnie. Um, decides she's not talking to him still. Whatever. You're, a, you're better off, Ronnie. So, I, I wish I could say, and she leaves his life forever, but I can't. <laughs> Jackson decides to treat, cheer Ronnie up. Uh, unfortunately, Ronnie is really upset about all the, you know, the stuff that happened with uh, the, the Native American grandfather, the stuff that's happened with Doreen. You know, he's he's in danger of losing his position on the basketball team. All this stuff's adding up, and he's really stressed out. And he takes out his ups, his frustrations on his friend. His friend's like, "Hey, that's cool, man. Sorry." And they try to be buds. Then they go to Ronnie's house, and his dad storms in the room. This is wild. His dad storms in starts screaming at Ronnie because he's gotten a letter in the mail that says Ronnie has been suspended from the basketball team because he's been missing practice, screwing up games, and he's mad because Ronnie's been staying out all night. So he straight up slaps Ronnie across the face. And there's kind of a stunned silence moment. It's pretty powerful. And Ronnie leaves the house in a huff, slams the door, and takes off, transforms into a firestorm and takes off. He is so upset. He's fires from flying through the air, screaming to hell with the whole world. And this, honestly, is really like a perfect example of superhero teenage angst at its best. I mean, this is really good stuff, superhero teenage angst stuff. I mean, Jerry Conway was a pro at that. So Firestorm from flying away, and Professor Stein's like, what's going on? What's the emergency? Ronnie just tells him to shut up, which is pretty ballsy, I think. <laughs> but anyway. And really what's going on, though, is it's a story of a teenager who is slowly striving to become an adult. He, he wants his freedom because he's expected to be free to some extent, and yet he's still forced to live and conform to the rules of being a high school student. So he's held accountable for certain things. And every kid goes through this. I mean, I'm, I'm raising a 13-year-old right now, so what's happening, maybe I'm just a little too close to the issue, but what's happening to Ronnie, I, I see in kids that struggle for freedom to grow up faster than, than they really can. So I, I totally get where this is coming from. I feel like it's done really well. So, and Ronnie's going through all this, by the way, while he's sitting on a garbage scow, floating in, what is that, the Hudson River, I suppose? Yes. Then uh, Harry Carew, I'm sorry, the next scene is a scene at Concordance Laboratory where Professor Stein works. Uh, Professor Stein's co-worker, Harry Carew, who, by the way, his secret identity is D-Bag, goes into uh, Professor, (laughs) he he has a D-Bag, he goes into Professor Stein's lab secretly, starts rooting through his crap, for looking for secrets that he can use either use against Stein or get a competitive edge from, and then pockets this audio cassette recording, and he goes, oh, this has been erased. It must be secret. I will take this because I'm an audio specialist, and I'm going to recreate it and find out what it is. 
Well, those of you who have been paying attention for the last few issues remember Professor Stein recorded a tape two issues ago revealing that he was secretly Firestorm, gave the whole origin of Firestorm. So now we've got some, you know, here's your C-plot, you know, coming in. As, <laughs> as they say, if you bring in a gun in the first act, you got to fire it by the third. Yep, there you go. Next scene is at the uh, Manhattan Water Reservoir. Basically, this is one place over in the Bronx that supplies apparently all the water to Manhattan. Killer Frost shows up. She decides the best way to take over New York is by freezing it. What better way to freeze New York than by freezing the water reservoir? So she does this, and it literally freezes all of Manhattan. And we'll talk about that in a bit. But wow, it just totally does. So all of Manhattan is covered in a sheet of ice, whether it be skyscrapers. I mean, they've got these things, you know, 110 stories in the sky, giant things of ice. That's apparently how powerful this water sprayed everywhere. And you get to actually see a quick snippet of Cliff Carmichael frozen into a solid block of ice, which makes Yay. me feel pretty And you see some girl randomly standing there that I like to pretend is Doreen. I don't really know if it is because she's wearing a different outfit, but we're just going to say this Doreen frozen, <laughs> and unfortunately she dies of hypothermia. So, Firestorm sees all this from the garbage scout, decides it's time to take jump to action. Uh, next scene is in the mayor's office. This is the one place in the city that Killer Frost has not frozen for some reason. She confronts the mayor. She says she needs him, and he wants her wants the mayor to call her Your Majesty. So I think what you can read into this is she's trying. I guess she's trying to get the mayor to sort of transfer power or acknowledge her as the 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 queen of New York. You get a one panel recap of Killer Frost's origin because sometimes with continuity, that's all you need. That's a little throw yeah. I got it. I got to, it. Red Tornado Justice League episode we recorded yep. and every bashed on me. Yep. Anyway, so Firestorm flies through the wall. He knocks off a picture off the wall, which is kind of funny. We'll talk about that in a minute. And a battle ensues. Killer Frost escapes. Firestorm finds her up on a throne made of ice, and she basically says, Eight million people are encased in New York, and only I can release them. I have the power of life and death. So Firestorm gets down on one because she says, bow to me and call me queen, and perhaps I will let them live. So, Firestorm kneels before Killer Frost. Kneel! Dun, 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 dun. I know. <laughs> we'll do that in a minute. And Professor Stein's like, no, Ronnie, we can't. If we do, she wins! And Ronnie says, don't you get it, Professor? She already has. Next issue, the icy heart of Killer Frost. So, uh, what'd you think, man? Well, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Uh, Broderick does a great job on the art. I love... Ironically, my favorite panel for you, at least, is the page with Doreen. Uh, the the, bo- the bottom panel where it's the big silhouette of Ronnie in the background. That is like classic Peter Parker, Mary Jane, Gwen Stacy m- melodrama there. With these sort of oh, so this is at the funeral where she she's walking. This is like the foreground shot of Ronnie, and she's walking away. But then there's in the background a huge close up of him. I see what you're saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very you know Gwen Stacy yelling at Peter or whatever kind of thing. And, of course, Firestorm is modeled after Spider-Man, so it only makes sense. Um, yep. They said it's fun. I mean, it's, you know, it's a classic, like, preposterous comic book plot. I mean, that there's, like, a supervillain that they bring on trial, and the judge just says, oh, just turn off that machine. Nothing can happen. You know, like, like what are you, crazy? Well, there's some, poli- there's some political commentary embedded in that. I don't know if you noticed or not. What they say is it's a district federal courthouse in downtown Manhattan within, the, um, glar- within glaring distance of City Hall. Under the voyeuristic eye of the TV news, a pretrial uh, hearing is underway. Here we go. Before the bench of Judge Martha Roberts, appointed during the last days of the previous administration. So what they're saying, 
because at this point, Ronald Reagan was in office. So what they're saying, I assume, is that it she's was a Carter appointee. She is a Carter appointee, so therefore she's quote-unquote liberal. <laughs> and she's saying you can't have Killer Frost in there. It's, you know, um, where's her words? I don't know what you're she's saying, but you're infringing on her, on her civil rights. Yeah. So now here's the interesting thing is that I wonder if at the time Jerry Conway was a conservative and this was a dig or if he – because nowadays he's a liberal. Uh, at least that's my, my perception of reading him on Twitter. Uh, yes. that's, that's how I would take it. Yes, yes. So is he – you know, was he a liberal back then, or was this just for the story and has nothing to do with his own political beliefs? I can't help but wonder. But but the political stuff is there. So it's interesting, if nothing else. Yeah, so. I mean, I think it's just – I yeah, I probably wouldn't read too much into it. I think he was just pointing out that this is this judge's point of view, and the, the, in this instance, this judge is incorrect. I mean, she's, so, she's not incorrect in terms of the law, but she's incorrect in terms of the reality that I mean, you can't apply in, – in a universe where you have people with these abilities, you can't apply normal modes of – you know, the justice system. It's just not going to work. I really do like this page for a lot of reasons. I love the contraption she's sitting in. Yeah. Because she's just, she's sitting so straight up. I just, like, she looks, I don't know, and that side profile of her sitting there is really nice inside of the thing. There's a lot of flowery language in the, uh, in the call-out boxes. I love that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Caption boxes. I miss that in comics nowadays. Mm -hmm. And if you look, the center panel, and this is page nine, that is a Kevin Maguire drawn picture. That's yeah, a great face. She looks so somehow Kevin, yeah. Kevin Maguire went back in time and drew that <laughs> panel somehow. It's amazing. He he must have held Pat. It's like a Back to the Future moment. You know, he's Marty McFly with the uh, flux capacitor or something. The next page has something really nice too on page ten, the bottom panel where she's looking at the news crew. And her right hand is creating all these swirly clouds. That just looks really cool. I mean, it's a really well-drawn fog, if you will, coming off her hands. You see what I'm talking mm -hmm. about? Yeah, it's very nice. It's really pretty. He does more of the swirly fog in the next page, too. He just, there's some really nice, nice touches with Killer Frost in this one. I love it. One thing I noticed about Pat Broderick is that when he draws people angry, he really, I think just the way his style is, he really makes people look like they are in a murderous rage when fire, when, uh, ra ra uh, uh, Jay, what am I blanking? Ronnie, with yes. Ronnie's dad, is yeah. yelling at him. He looks like he's going to murder Ronnie. He's so mad looking. He and is so extreme. The way Pat just draws faces, they just tend to look very extreme. Whatever emotion he's drawing, they tend to look very extreme in that emotion. And here, he looks like he's, you know, he's about to stab, stab Ronnie or something. You know, what's interesting about this scene, um, it, it sort of, shows you a change in the way the world is nowadays because his dad straight up slaps him across the face, like really freaking hard. It's not a backhand. It's a straight up, yeah. hand, you know, palm slap. Pow! And nowadays you then have three issues about abusing children, <laughs> talking about it or whatever. And here the big rub is not, that his dad slapped him in the face. There's no discussion of him being slapped in the face again. It's not like I can't believe my dad did that. It's just my dad's on my case is what's, what it's more is. Not that I got slapped. It's that my dad's on my case. So it's it's almost like saying that this was a accepted form of punishment in 1981 or 82. I don't know. You could slap your kid across the face. Um, nowadays, that'd be a theme month at DC Comics. It would be. It really. I mean, you know, nowadays, if you slap your kid across the face, you're you know, child services is going to take them away. 
you know, is, is what it boils down to. And it's just uh, a little change in the times. So You sound anyway. almost uh, sad about that, Shane. Maybe I am. I don't know. I have a teenager, so. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to take us all the way back to the beginning when he's chasing those thugs. There's a couple of cool shots I like in here that I wonder where I, – I, I don't know if they're specifically nods to the old Batman TV series, but a couple of scenes where you're following the thugs – the scenes are at a really weird tilted angle that always reminds me of the old Batman TV series whenever the bad guys were on screen or in their hideouts, it was always a tilted angle. I right. like that. In fact, page two and three, I wanted to point this out because you were talking about Broderick faces, and I think this is important to admit. Broderick has very distinctive faces. And, and like usually when you see a Broderick face, you can go, oh, that's, that's a Broderick face. But for 90% of this comic, they don't look like Broderick faces. Whereas these two thugs on page two... Those are Broderick faces. The one of them looks like one of the Super Mario Brothers to me. <laughs> Just a bit. But do you, do you understand what I mean by, yeah. it, mm-hmm. like, if you look through, like, I don't know, Batman Year 3, I think it was that he drew, it's like, oh, okay, those are definitely Broderick faces the whole way through. But here, these are the only ones that look like Broderick faces. Everyone else, uh, I guess it was Roden Rod- Rod- Rodriguez who sort of smoothed everything over after that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Jumping forward to page 5. Uh, the scene where Ronnie is considering letting the guy die by getting hit by the truck is pretty powerful. But I love the scene where Professor Stein is screaming at Ronnie that the astral form of Professor Stein's face is sort of superimposed over Ronnie's face. It's like, so you can, it's like he's screaming from inside Ronnie. Yeah, it's a nice look. It's a nice effect. Yeah. He does a really good job with that astral face. I, I just really love the heck out of that thing. There's some also neat shots of, uh, of Firestorm's powers in this one. Like on page six, when he pulls the guy up out of the sewer, there's that cool energy hand pulling him up, and there's that, that usage of the nuclear symbol above the ground. Like there's a lot of usage of that nuclear symbol in this issue, and that makes me happy. I, I, I think that sort of nice symbology. You, see, you saw it again later when um, probably one of the better ones is when Ronnie is bursting out from behind the house. There's the nuclear symbol around him. And the energy sort of like, he's going so fast, the energy sort of like being dragged behind him. It's neat. I think he does a good job there. So, Killer Frost, freezing all of Manhattan. Casually. <laughs> She's not even putting any effort into it. She sort of just points at the reservoir, and all of a sudden, the entire island of Manhattan freezes. Dude, she's more powerful than the dead king from Aquaman going on right now. <laughs> Killer Frost the city. Drop dead. Right. <laughs> That's right. Um, it is a really cool shot, though, on page 19 from above when she's floating in the reservoir. And that that is good. Out. That is a really nice shot. I love that the water is solid black. Yes. Uh, that, that is a very nice effect. I'm glad you mentioned that because it's a very nice panel. Yeah, he did a really great job with that one. This is a very well-colored book, and I yeah. mentioned that on the cover, but uh, yeah. I really think the colors are really nice in here. It's colored by Gene, Gene, Gene. D'Angelo, who did like a gajillion DC comics. Yes, but, he did. Uh, I, I mean, I think that's partly the reason that Killer Frost is sort of Firestorm's main villain, is that the contrast in terms of obviously the hot and the cold, but visually, um, mm-hmm. it's just a compelling visual to have her with all these sort of lights, blues, and then him with these hot reds and yellows. It, it makes you know, It makes each page look... You know, pretty dynamic just, just by you just color them correctly. Yep. It works really well. well. I didn't notice Professor Stein still has a bandaged forehead in the in the astral form. That's clever. Well done, Pat. <laughs> Good for you. I like uh, when Firestorm is in the mayor's office and he flies through the wall. This is kind of clever here, folks. He's flying through the wall, right? Because he, 
because Firestorm, if you don't know, Firestorm has the ability to walk through walls and things like that. So he flies through the wall of the mayor's office, and turns out he returned to Solid a moment too early. And he actually acknowledges it. He says, um, the tricky part of changing your atomic density to pass through walls is you can't see what's on the other side. So he came through the wall and immediately turned Solid. Well, it turns out he came through behind a painting. So he knocks the painting off the wall. Which I just think is really kind of like if you're sitting there thinking about the physics of using this power, which Jerry Conway loved to do. He really enjoyed thinking about the physics of powers. That's a really neat sort of thing to point out. Like, yeah, he came through the wall and turned solid. Whoops, there's something there. So I, I dig that. That was pretty cool. It's sort of like Multiplex. He spent a lot of time thinking about Multiplex, how every time he make, creates a dupe, he gets smaller. Because so, he's using up his mass. Right, right, right. So Anyway. Now, one question I have here is Killer Frost says at the end, she says, there's 8 million people encased in ice. Only I can release them. I don't really... Now, I haven't written out... I haven't read ahead to number four. I mean, I, obviously, I've read it a few times in my life, but I haven't read it in several years. So I don't. I remember how the story's revol- resolved, but I don't remember some of the details. Like, I don't remember why she says she can release the eight million people. She creates ice. She doesn't make it go away. Hmm. I. She can't make it go away. That's not really her power. She, okay. she generates ice. All right, well, maybe we'll maybe Firestorm will levitate something like he did in that issue of Brave and the Bold and get the ice to melt. Well, no, I remember how it's resolved. <laughs> you remember the hostess Twinkies ad, the, the one where the Human Torch fought that lady with the giant hairdryer? <laughs> yes, yes, I do. Firestorm gets that hairdryer from her. Okay. He battles her. With, he brings some hostess Twinkies, gets the hairdryer, and just <laughs> one skyscraper at a time. So, That's a and shame. it takes a while. Firestorm never got a hostess ad, didn't it? It's a, it is a freaking crime of nature. It would have been wonderful. Yes. So, you like, do it now. Go ahead, the kneeling. Go ahead and say it. Okay. <laughs> Kneel before Killer Frost. <laughs> and I, I went ahead and looked it up. I was wondering. I was like, I wonder which came first. And uh, sure enough, Superman 2 beat this comic yes. by a year. So. Well, even more than that, because they filmed most of Superman 2 back in 1977. So That's true. So they probably had it in the can by that point. That's absolutely true. So, but no, no one in DC would have known the script of that, though. Well, that, well, yeah. yeah, that's true. That's true. So, and then we get a letters page. Uh, letters page sort of was responding to people either who had read number one, who had or had heard there was a number one on the way. A lot of excitement for the book, so that's kind of cool. And at this point, Jerry Conway was answering the letters page, which I always liked. So. <laughs> I love this issue. I think it's a great one. This particular issue, uh, these two issues, three and four. You often, when you talk to match heads and they wax nostalgic about the early days of this series, these are usually the two issues everybody brings up. Because the Killer Frost return and the next issue, spoiler, features the Justice League. Woo! So, for, you know, for, for whatever reason, these two issues tend to be the ones that, and probably because, you know, who's cooler, Killer Frost or Black Bison? <laughs> so, so uh, I, I'm looking forward to reading the next one. I enjoy the hell out of this issue, and I'm really looking for. I, I am trying not to peek ahead. I, I want to read these sort of out, as we go, right? You know, and experience it that way. So I'm looking forward to reading it next month. Yeah, they, they said these are a lot. Of, I look forward to doing these. Uh, they, they are a lot of fun to read. They really are. Talk. I, I, I was in a comic shop yesterday, and I was talking to another customer there that I used. Uh, I, I was in the shop I used to manage all these years ago, and some of the customers are still coming after all these years. You know, it's been twenty years, and one of my old customers was in there, so we just started chatting. And I kind of 
gave him my thoughts on finding your comic book joy and was explaining how I'm not reading a lot of new comics, but I am reading old ones, and here's a perfect example. This is totally my comic book joy. So You know, that's funny that you mentioned that, because I, I was going to bring this up at some point in the show. You talk about, you know, you've been reading your Micronauts. One of the things that uh, I found that I've sort of gone back to in terms of finding your comic book joys, when I was a kid, uh, every summer we would go and stay at a cabin up in the Pocono Mountains in Pennsylvania. And we went the same time every year in August. We always went over my birthday, and it was it's probably, like, the nicest memories I have of childhood because um, it was a cabin and it was set on a lake and there was a ton of newsstands around. So I was constantly dragging my parents to one newsstand or the next to find comics. <laughs> and there was no TV, uh, you know, in this cabin. So it was like, you know, you listen to the radio or you read and that was pretty much it. But I loved it. I loved it. And, and um, I tend to look back on the comics that I bought uh, at that time, I even sort of in my head called them mountain comics because those are the ones I bought when I was there. And cool. I have since, thanks to Mike's Amazing World, where you can sort by release dates, I have gone back and started finding all those comics again and been, like, buying them in drips and drabs on eBay. Oh, okay. And, like, I mean, a lot of them I still have, but some of them just got lost over time or whatever. But now I've gone back and bought a couple. And just last week I bought an issue of Conan, an issue of Micronauts, and, oh. uh, and um, uh, the second <laughs> second part of Marvel's flaccid adaptation of James Bond and For Your Eyes Only, um, <laughs> ter- terrible adaptation of like my favorite James Bond movie. But uh, but but that I, I I owned the first issue of that adaptation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's it's a terrible adaptation. It's inked by Vince Coletta. There you go. Um, uh, but but that has been my comic book joy is going back and finding. I, I look at all the covers. You know when I pull it up and I do like release dates August. You know, 79, August 80, August 81. And I go back and I look at all the covers and I go, wow, I remember having that one. I remember having that one. I remember having that one. So I go back and I've been buying. And luckily, because most, you know, they're all cheap to get. Right. Um, that's been a lot of fun. So, like, I eventually I want to, like, amass all of them that I can mm-hmm. get. But I've been buying them in little bits and pieces. But that has been, like, it's purely an exercise in nostalgia, but I don't really care. It's been a load of fun. And it's funny, like, I was, re- I was reading Micronauts, number 35. Uh, okay, so this would be in Pat Broderick's era, I think, right? Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Pat, Pat, Broderick, Pat Broderick and Rudy Nebrez, I believe. And it's, got, it's got the uh, pharaoh, the sand, the, the desert guy, right? I think so, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah. And I have not, the, the, particularly this issue of Micronauts, I had not read it since I was a kid, since, since it mm-hmm. came out, probably. But, man, it felt like I just read it a month ago. Really? It was amazing how I remembered every panel, you know, little bits of dialogue. It was like it all came flooding back. And even though I had not read that comic since like 1981, I, it didn't feel like it had been, you know, 30 plus years. It was pretty amazing. So I'm going to keep doing it. And that has been that has been like my comic book joy. That's so awesome. I'm so thrilled to hear that, man. Yeah. Now, I, I got to say, Micronauts, though, one issue, I bet packed full of story, right? Oh yeah, and this was a double-sized issue, so it's even oh my God. double <laughs> that, that That's a trade by itself. That's like already right a nowadays. Trade. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah this, this, those, those have been those have been a, a blast to go and read. Very cool, Man. awesome. Well, folks, that's going to do it for this time around. Um, we've got on the horizon, obviously, a Peter David Aquaman episode. We've got a Who's Who coming up not too far away, and uh, of course, well, next month we'll be talking about uh, Villains Month. So, looking forward to it. That's right. I guess we're going to have to cover both in one 
one episode or something like that. We'll figure it out. Oh, we'll just cover all three. We'll cover Killer Frost, Ocean Master, and um, Black Men. Well, but then we're going to miss out on Firestorm Classic. Mm. Well, maybe not. No, not really, because the numbering will remain consistent, because we're still on Aquaman 23. Nah, the numbering's going to be all screwy anyway, though. No, 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 because we'll, 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 we'll be doing Aquaman 23.1, 23.2, and Firestorm. Well, what I'm Frost. saying is, they're all going to get screwy anyway when we start getting the annuals. Well, that's true, but but at least no, no. but at least for next month when we do Aquaman twenty four, we'll be doing Firestorm number four. So we'll we'll be keeping consistent with that at least for a little while. So you're saying we got to wait two months to do Firestorm number four? Yes. I don't think so. No, because next month we'll do Aquaman twenty twenty three point one, twenty three point two, and the Killer Frost. Solo. I guess. Oh, wow. I don't really want to, Such enthusiasm. I don't really want to wait two months to read this. You went on and on and on about Sterling Gates, and now you're all like, eh, I don't know. No, I mean, the killer, I'm looking forward to the Killer Frost. I just don't want to put, uh, you're making me put off my Pat Roderick fix. <laughs> oh, well. All right, folks. Go read some Micronauts. Yeah, right. <laughs> Thank you for listening, folks. You can find uh, the Aquaman Shrine at AquamanShrine.com. It's also on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find Firestorm stuff at FirestormFan.com, also on the same handle at Facebook, Twitter, Tumblr, Google Plus, and Instagram. And what's the email address for the show again, Rob? Uh, firewaterpodcast.comcast.net, and the Tumblr is fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. Definitely check out the Tumblr. There's some cool stuff out there. And um, until next time, folks, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye, guys. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soaking down or burn them up, no one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice and see on land and air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah!